KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3.30. Stay tuned next for Cover to Cover, Frame to Frame. and welcome to this edition of Frame to Frame. My name is Raina Cowan, and I'll be here for you, with you for the next half hour talking about film. And we're actually looking ahead, which somehow in this time of like being so busy, it's really hard to do. But the San Francisco International Film Festival, the 60th anniversary, is happening April 5th through the 19th. And so many times people I know say, I heard about this great film, and by the time I found out about it, it was gone. So I'm hoping that we'll be able to fight that in some kind of way by talking about films a little bit early. And with us to talk about the film festival, I'm joined by uh, two people. First, we have Rod Armstrong, who's a senior programmer with the film festival and who I've interviewed before over the years, uh, maybe five or six years ago was the last time, Uh but always fun to talk to you. So welcome to KPFA. Thanks so much for having me. And then the other person I have is someone on the line, Natalia Almada. Uh, her, her film, Everything Else, uh, is a feature film. She's been a documentary filmmaker, and I've interviewed her before uh, when she did El Valador, which is the night watchman. And uh, she's in Mexico City, and her film is showing in this film festival. So, Natalia, I want to join you from the phone lines here. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Thanks. So, uh, Broad, why don't we start with you before I explain anything about Natalia and give more of her background. But, uh, you know, each year it seems like the festival has a, a particular focus and it seems really reflective of the way that filmmakers from around the world are thinking about films. And also, not exactly equally because it takes a long time to make a film. But I'm wondering if there's certain trends that you've noticed in the festival that's happening this year? Well, I think trends arise out of the program organically where we don't set about to find particular themes or elements. Uh, But, of course, with current events being what they are, I think it was important to talk about community and to talk about activism. So with that in mind, we have three free screenings this year. I think the fact that we're celebrating a big anniversary with it being 60 years of the San Francisco International Film Festival, we wanted to do some more special events. So you'll see some more of those, some more live and onstage programs. And then, in particular, we found this year, including Natalia's film, some very strong programs from Latin America. And our World Cinema Spotlight is, in fact, on Argentina. And so we can talk about the the films that we're screening from there. So those are three elements that uh, I'd like to draw people's attention to. Oh, that is very interesting. So why don't we talk first with Natalia about your film. Natalia is uh, actually has won a MacArthur Genius Award. Her film El General was about her family's relationship with the Mexican president who um, was related to her great-grandfather and El Valador took a look uh, at narco-violence through the look of this night watchman. Uh, both films were I think stunning and really remarkable documentaries. So this time, Natalia switches to doing a feature film. And um, Natalia, what made you decide that you wanted to 
switch and do features, although um, I can imagine that you would go back and forth. But what what was it about the narrative structure that really interested you? Um, well, it was a, a lot of things, I think, that led me to make fiction. And one was that I wanted to make a film about the violence of bureaucracy and thinking about um, this idea that the people who work within a bureaucracy kind of become dehumanized and invisible. And the nature of the subject matter was something that made it very hard to film as a documentary because I knew I would never gain access in Mexico to government offices, for example, um, in order to shoot a documentary. So, you know, that was kind of the first thing that if I wanted to talk about bureaucracy and this idea of violence, it had to be fictionalized. Um, and then for me, there's not such a big jump between my last film, El Velador, and this film, uh, which I guess is both that El Velador has elements that feel a little bit like fiction to me in terms of how it's filmed and structured. And this uh, film, Todo lo demás, everything else, it has a lot of documentary elements. Um, so I think that the kind of you know, strict distinction between the genres is not so black and white. Well, uh, so let's talk about the story a little bit. It focuses on Doña Flor, who works as a, a bureaucrat in a voter bureau and is just so obsessed with uh, everything being exact. And the film structure kind of reflects that in a certain way, that there is uh, an exactness to the film structure that you're creating as well. So the world of Doña Flor is sort of reflected on what we see and how we see her life. Mm -hmm. uh, she's played by Adriana Barraza, who uh, is amazing. She's been in Amores Peros and was nominated for an Oscar for um, Babel. And uh, so you have her playing a role where she doesn't speak much, and yet so much of the emptiness, the discontent, the obsessive longing that she feels is present and uh, so I'm wondering how you spoke to her to help elucidate her expressing things in that way especially because in documentary I think you just sort of wait for someone to express something naturally um, well there's a couple of things I think Adriana's an amazing amazing actress and I was very very fortunate to work with her um, and I had I think probably what scared me most about doing fiction was working with actors so to prepare, I did a lot of reading and took some acting classes in San Francisco at the Shelton Theater, actually. And um, one of the things that was interesting to me is that in the kind of conversations about how to act in the literature and in the classes, you're always looking for truth. And, you know, when you're shooting a documentary, you're kind of also looking for truth. And understanding that connection between the two, um, the two things gave me a lot of confidence in a way because I realized I'd spent all these years filming people looking through the camera to see like is what they're doing depicting feel truthful and in a documentary when someone starts to kind of play for the camera or, or pretend for the camera you feel it right away you feel when someone's being not genuine or dishonest or putting on airs for the camera so once I understood that, I understood, like, okay, all I need to do here is really look through the lens and have that feeling of veracity, the feeling of um, sincerity come through. Um, so I think that that was a principle that I held on to through, uh, throughout making the film. And Adriana, we did very little prepping ahead of time in terms of, 
you know, we didn't rehearse, for example, but we did a lot of, um, she read very early versions of my writing. Uh, she did a lot of her own wardrobe that she went out and found for herself. And so I think she did a lot of preparation um, for understanding her character that she was able to really transmit the kind of subtlety of a, um, the emotion that I wanted through her gestures and her body language and her actions. Um, it's definitely a film that's not relying on plot and dialogue to convey meaning or to move it forward. So she really has that ability to kind of, through her body, be expressive. Well, she works in a nondescript office, so you can imagine when she's shopping for clothes <laughs> for her yeah. part, it's like a very kind of brown, beige, bland kind of look. Uh, you shoot it in a very interesting way. It's very bold to have somebody who is in some ways so bland be right in the center of the screen so much of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the framing is actually so visually interesting. So I'm wondering how you thought about how you wanted the cinematography to look for this film? Well, in a lot of ways, the film is about stillness. And I wanted the film to feel still, to have the stillness in the camera. So I decided very early on that the the camera wouldn't move almost ever. And so what, what that creates is that any movement that you feel has to happen within the frame. So I was often thinking about how do you create a kind of dynamic frame So instead of panning or dolling or uh, some other kind of move, it's like, how can I make the frame transform when when it's static? So the movement within became very important. And, And yes, and the idea was here you have this character who's, you know, kind of meticulous, who's like the quintessential bureaucrat, you know, who's nitpicky, all those things. And she and her life is kind of very rigid in that way. And so I wanted the whole film to feel that way, to be kind of enveloped in her rigid universe um, that's solitary and hard and fixed, and it begins to kind of fall apart. Well, you said the words uh, transform and it's stat- being by being static. I mean, that's sort of antithetical to a lot of the way that film is depicted in a certain way so you're actually you you gave yourself a huge challenge were there any moments when you felt like is this going to work uh, well uh, yeah, not that aspect of the film i had a fair amount of confidence about <laughs> choosing for the camera not to work uh-huh. um, i think also it being my first fiction film it helped to not have the camera work move because it limited the amount of elements i had to make sure were happening correctly Right, so by having the camera static, we could really focus, set up the shot, make it exactly what we wanted to be, and then I could give 100% of my attention to the acting. Um, and I really wanted that. I really felt like I, my goal was, you know, can I be an actor's director, right, someone who's really thinking about the performance and who's there for the actors. And I think if I'd been trying to make sure that the movement of the camera and everything else was also perfect, you know, it would have been very hard Um to hold that all in place. Uh, but, the, you know, that I think with every project, it's not just making fiction or this film, but it's inevitable to doubt, I think, with any creative endeavor. And you're trying to do something that isn't foolproof and that has risk and that could very easily fail. And if, it, if you aren't willing to be in that uncomfortable space of potentially failing, <laughs> <laughs> then I don't know that you can be making films, right? 
Right. At least, especially not in the kind of independent world. Like, it's different. I think a lot of the things that get set up in the studio or more commercial work is a kind of almost like an odd checks and balances of film, right? You get all these opinions and consensus, and hopefully that's going to make it some kind of guarantee that it's not going to be a flop. But the truth is most, you know, Sam Pollard, who's a fantastic filmmaker and editor, told me, you know, if the film isn't on the verge of failing, it probably isn't any good. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, you know, that's true. Well, to me, the film feels like a success, uh, but you're actually playing with elements that wind up making the film feel... uh, Fuller, and then you start adding other things, like you wind up going to the subways in Mexico City and shooting there. And uh, so, what was it like then to switch from the stillness to actually kind of capture what's happening outside of the world, of uh, some of which this character uh, doesn't really, at least initially, pay much attention to? Uh, the subway scenes were something I knew I wanted to have very early in the film. Uh, because, you know, in Mexico City on the subway, the last two train cars are reserved for women only. And I've for years been fascinated by that space and what it means and how it feels. So I really wanted to shoot in them. I shot a scene in them for El General, um, and I wanted to go back to that space. And the feeling I always had in them was kind of, here's this you know, this train car that you go into on the packed Mexico City subway, and it feels so different. And it sometimes felt like it could just, I'd have this image of it kind of disappearing through the subway tunnels and that these women would kind of disappear and no one would notice or no one would care or, but not in, in, in a, it had a sense of freedom, the feeling I had. Um, and it was a beautiful place to film because all the kind of documentary experience I had could really come to the, to the foreground and we basically had Adriana Barraza just take the subway um, during rush hour and so all the people there are people who are riding the subway and we worked with a reduced crew there were just a handful of us that would get on the train with her and took a lot of patience on her part um, to kind of endure that uh, sort of uncontrolled situation Um, but I think what the result is, is a very kind of uh, true portrait of what Mexico City is for a woman. And a testament to Adriana's acting, I think, is that nobody noticed her, really. Like, she, people aren't staring at her. And she's a really famous actress in Mexico because she did telenovelas. And um, people know who she is here. But she was so in character that I think people didn't see her. They didn't see Adriana. You know, they just saw a woman going to work in her office clothes, um, and no one paid attention to her, which I think is really a testament to how how much she assumed the character that she was playing. That That is really remarkable. Uh, you know, we're talking right now with Natalia Amada, whose film Everything Else is showing in this year's San Francisco International Film Festival, and also Rod Armstrong, the senior programmer. And Rod, I want to bring you in here because you get hundreds of submissions, and then you also, at the same time, search for films, and there's 125 programs. So what was it about this film that made you think that it would be a good match for uh, 
the San Francisco audience? Well, one of the elements of most festivals and ours in particular is discovery. And part of that is valorizing first time filmmakers. And we actually have a new director's competition. And so we're always on the hunt for interesting debut features of which Natalia's film is, of course, one. And it is part of the competition. And so we were aware of the film because Natalia has some ties here in the Bay Area and we've been tracking it for a while. And so it was brought to our attention in that way. Uh, and then also playing at the New York Film Festival. And it's had uh, some really remarkable screenings along the way. Uh, so, I mean, in, in a broader sense, like I said, we're looking for films that people can discover at the festival. And then also it fits in nicely with, uh, as I was saying, the, the Latin American cinema that we've seen really uh, pronounced this year, where we have films from Argentina, we have films from Chile, uh, and it's just... Uh, so, I mean, it was kind of a natural fit. It was one of the earliest invitations I can recall to this year's festival. Hmm. Natalia, uh, do you feel like that your film fits into sort of a Latin American theme? I mean, I see elements of like Chantal Ackerman in your work and um, uh, I guess elements of, <laughs> I would say, even your own documentary, how it really appears in your work. But do you feel like you're part of a, a larger movement of Latin American cinema right now? Uh, definitely. I mean, I... I'm, I, yes, I'm Mexican, and Mexico has an incredible film scene right now. We have a lot of support from the government, and so there's a lot of films being made. And there's a kind of very strong auteur film, um, you know, scene and production happening, you know, for a while now. And I definitely feel that I'm part of that. Um, and I think that it does expand beyond Mexico to Latin America. Um, I actually just had a baby at the exact same time this film came out in October oh, when it premiered. Wow. <laughs> so I have yet to see it with an audience. And San Francisco will be my first opportunity to see it with an audience. Um, but one of the things in the past with my films that I've loved doing is traveling to Latin America, seeing other Latin American films and kind of seeing how we have a shared, um, I would say kind of, our relationship to the rest of the world is often shared. So the way that Europeans or Americans will look at Latin American cinema, there's often a commonality in that. Uh, the gaze upon us is often similar, if that makes sense. Um, and I, I find it interesting. It, it definitely uh, makes you feel less alone. And I think that the, you know, the the reference of Chantal Ackerman is is there. You know, she's someone I admire a lot and. But I think that a lot of Latin American cinema is informed by European cinema. Mm. And also a lot of Latin American directors studied in Europe or in the United States. Um, and so I think you tend to have, you know, two kind of different veins. You have the directors who are looking towards Hollywood and trying to kind of head in that direction. And you have the filmmakers who are looking more towards European um, auteur cinema and and then we bring to that, of course, our own specificity, right? So the kind of Latin American sensibility, which is difficult to define, as it would be difficult to define, you know, what's the American sensibility? But uh, but there is something. There's something that you can look at these films and say, oh, they have a, 
something in common. <laughs> well, another thing that strikes me is because either you were pregnant or maybe potentially thinking about being pregnant during the course of making this film or at least during some of the editing, there is a, a certain kind of female vision that's in this film uh, that it that the focus isn't really on uh, sexuality, but it seems like it's on uh, developing a sense of self, like where does this character begin and end and can she have some kind of meaning in the world or does she just disappear like uh, as you mentioned the all the women who are taking the the subway in those two cars so i'm wondering how you were thinking about that um well i think it's definitely a, a woman's film and what i was interested in is how can you have a film about a woman that's not in relation to a man so she's not only a mother or a wife um but that she's a woman on her own on her own accord and it's a portrait just of her right mm -hmm. it's not her in relation to a man yes she's a woman and it seems like that either that she's had her own trauma or she somehow represents the trauma that mexico city has had or mexico has had in general but there's something there's a suffering that feels bigger than just her experience that you've able to capture in this film yeah yeah, I think I was definitely, you know, it's, yes, I was looking at a kind of loneliness and isolation and the kind of invisibility. What does it mean to be someone who others don't see and who's left alone with her own pain and suffering without kind of others to um, ease that that pain? Mm-hmm. Uh, Rod, is there... Uh I was trying to think about other films by female directors that are in the festival. Are there certain uh, generalities that you could say, or is there, is there a difference in terms of what's being um, talked about and portrayed now? Uh, I mean, it's it's tough to speak in generalities when you see as many movies as I do, because one of the wonderful things is that even though a certain subset of movies, and they're often movies that don't get into the festival, are movies that I feel like I've seen before. But I think what we try and do in our program is bring all kinds of different visions to the screen. And to just say that female film female filmmakers have a particular sensibility, I mean, I think you can point to certain things, but uh, other elements, of course, are uh, kind of go out the window. I mean, you have the humor that is evident in uh, Alicia Sherson's film Family Life, which is from Chile. Uh, you've got a filmmaker like Gillian uh, Robespierre, who directed the opening night movie Landline, uh, which is also just filled with humor and really is about family connections and how parents relate to their children and how people deal with adultery and sexuality and elements like that. And so, I mean, I think the most important thing, and we also have great documentaries by women. I think that's, all, that's also been a really strong point of entry for female filmmakers. And what's, I think, more important to us is getting those filmmakers seen rather than identifying particular sensibilities because I think that once... Uh, once we give access to filmmaking to women, then the the world is their oyster. And I think for viewers also, too, because I, I hope the whole world out there isn't just hoping to see movies by men, because that would be a very poor cinema. 
Right, but I think it has to do with financing. So I don't know if things have changed or whether it feels like that there's more room to be freedom. Like, uh, for example, in Natalia's film, everything else, I think that there is a way that um, I don't know if it would been possible to get funding for that film here in this country. I'm I not think sure. you're right. What do you think, Natalia? I, I don't think it would be, but it's for different reasons in uh-huh. part. Um, I, I think that, you know, in Mexico we have funding that's government-based. So you can, it's a tax incentive and companies can give money to film productions. And what that means is that I can, you know, try to, I raise the money through the Mexican government and I used some of the MacArthur money. And I, I don't have an investor. So in the United States, most fiction films are made with investment. And that means that you are really looking at the box office. Right? So often films, most of the time fiction in particular, not documentary, um, it's measured by its market potential. Right? So that often determines what can get made. And given that for so long we have existed in a male-dominated industry, often what can get made and what people think will sell are films by men because it's comfortable. It's what we know, right? So it's difficult no matter, you know, so the big difference is that one is kind of an investment-based model in which you have to make money in the box office to pay back those investors and a model like you have in Mexico right now, which is a government funding, so we don't have to make money in the box office, the films aren't judged by their success or failure uh, selling tickets, right? Um, and I think that working in that model gives a lot of freedom uh, as a filmmaker because you can take more risk, you can make a different kind of movie, and, you know, Todo lo demás, as much as I would like to wish it were different, is not a film that everybody's going to like. It's it's mo- it's an art film. It's a little bit more challenging, Um and I think that that kind of work is valuable and needs to exist in the world. But if we can only make films that are successful in the box office, films like mine won't get made. Does that make sense? Yes, totally, completely. And are those more often by women than men? That's a whole other discussion we can have. <laughs> okay, I right? want part two with you, that's for sure. Yeah. Your film is showing um, April 6th at 6 p.m. at the MoMA in San Francisco, April 7th at 3.30 at the Roxy in San Francisco, and then April 14th at 3 p.m. at the Roxy uh, in San Francisco. I want to thank you for joining us, Natalia. And I want to uh, focus with you now. I really want to, you know, there's sometimes there's films that we see in the festival that you can see later on. They open up. I want you to tell us a couple of your picks of films that we will never have another chance to most likely see if we don't see them at your festival. Sure. Uh, I want to point people to a documentary called Brimstone and Glory, which is about a town in Mexico. It's actually a suburb of Mexico City. And uh, they produce the predominant amount of fireworks that Mexico producers produces. They also have a very spectacular uh, event every year. And they have these giant towers full of fireworks, and then they have these kind of paper mache bowls that go through the streets and are also filled with fireworks, and people throw fireworks at them. And so it's really a visually entrancing movie. And where this movie might be available in the future, let's say to stream or something, we're going to play it in the Castro Theater. So that's the only chance you're going to have to see this big visual widescreen epic. Uh, one other movie that I might pick would be... Uh, Let's see, I'm trying to pick up a, a fiction feature. Um, 
Let's see. And the ones are, oh, Godless from Bulgaria. Here's a female filmmaker who's working with a difficult subject matter about a woman who is a very bad home care nurse and she steals from her patients and, uh, her, she and her boyfriend are addicted to morphine. But she finds through one of her patients a way to possibly get out of the scheme of living that she's been under. And I think just like Natalia does in everything else, I think this filmmaker has a very particular style of shooting and style of filmmaking. And uh, the central figure in her film is just such a strong presence that uh, it's a really interesting film to watch. Wow. Thank you so much. Uh, so this is Rod Armstrong, senior programmer at the San Francisco International Film Festival. And we've been speaking with Natalia Almada. For the first two screenings on the 6th and the 7th, she will be at the film um, herself. The film runs April 5th through the 19th. Uh, if you want more information, you can go to sffilm.org forward slash festival. It's going to be a, a Pacific Film Archive, Yerba Buena Screening Rooms, Roxy, San Francisco MoMA, the Castro. So thank you so much for joining me. My name is Raina Cowan, and you've been listening to another issue of Frame to Frame. I'll be back next month to talk about other kinds of films and back soon to talk more about the film festival thanks for joining us sure thanks our winter fun drive is over Thank you for your generous support. If you're a KPFA listener that intended to pledge, please take a moment and go to our website at kpfa.org and donate today. Become a member of our community. Your donation ignites the engine and enables us to continue executing our historic mission of speaking truth to power. If you're searching for the truth, facts, and unfiltered news and in-depth analysis, help us stay as vigilant as always by supporting KPFA today. Young Oakland poet Chinaka Hodge will appear with her brother, musician Chugwudi Hodge, on Wednesday evening, April 5th, at Impact Hub Oakland at 2323 Broadway. I'm Janine Etter, honored and delighted to be hosting this KPFA benefit. It's wheelchair accessible. Get advanced tickets through brownpapertickets.com or Marcus Books and other indie bookshops.